0: Dear Heavenly Father Thank you for being that God that John just talked about And thank you for making John the man that he just talked about Thank you for using him How you have Thank you for never giving up on John Just as you never give up on any of us But we are so fortunate to know you Not just of you we are so fortunate to be those who are called by your name and to know that, that, that once you have us in your hands, the devil himself can't snatch us out and we can't jump out either. But we're really nothing without you. We have nothing to offer in our wisdom or physical prowess or abilities or intelligence or, or, or whatever even is lacking in those. Lord, we still have nothing to offer you. This is all yours. Lord, we are just here at your pleasure, and you desire to have time with us. Thank you that, that so many years ago you drew John to yourself, and thank you that you continue to use him so much in lives today. Thank you, Lord, that you continue to grow him and you continue to to shine through him and that you continue to challenge those who call you Father by him as well. So, Lord, thank you for John. Thank you for for his testament to your good faith and your mercy and your generosity. Lord, would you guide us today as we open your word? Would you, would you just open our hearts and do surgery and, and help us to be the people we need to be. Lord, help me to be the man I need to be. Lord, there's so much to learn from Abraham and Sarah. There's so many things that, that you are desiring to teach us through them. Lord, help us to embrace that. Help us to look forward to that. And Lord, would you, would you just be lifted up and glorified by everything that we do? it on a Sunday morning in a worship service or or a Monday morning at work or in the afternoon in our neighborhoods. Lord, would you help us be about you and your kingdom? So thank you, Lord, for this time. And please, uh, Lord, just uh, speak what you need to speak to us now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, John. What a... What a beautiful picture of what God does. I mean, when you think about it, and you think back at, at that, that great picture that John brought of a fish being hooked, and, and as a seven-year-old boy, John being hooked by God, it fits so perfectly into the life of Abraham and Sarah. I mean, it fits into everything we can talk about and how God has his time and his plan I remember vividly, it just brought to mind as John was speaking, some friends of ours in Wisconsin that once said to me, I'm glad God got to you when you were younger, because you would have been impossible now. <laughs> this wasn't very many years ago. About 17 years ago, a lady told me that. And she looked me right in the eye and said, You are unmoving. You can't be swayed the good news is God got a hold of you first because I'm sure that if he hadn't, you would be impossible. And I have been known to be stubborn a time or two, defiant on an occasion, and and she was 100% right. And, you know, I thank God that very night that he had done that for me, that he grabbed a hold of me at a time where I didn't know better because I'm convinced that if I would have waited long enough, I would have been far too intelligent for needing God. And, and so, this is the God we serve. This is the God that gets us when he knows exactly when we need it. Because he's looked down the road. He's looked down the path and he knows, just like he knew with Abraham when he asked them to leave his whole family and earth and everything. He knew down the road what he needed Abraham to do. And he knew that if he didn't move him then, it would not work. It was a perfect and impeccable timing of God when John Norland was seven years old to get a hold of his heart. Even though he may not have gone down the exact path God would have liked him to, he knew the importance of that time. And I can't tell you the number of lives that have been impacted because of that. And so it's a privilege to be able to serve alongside a man who's responded to God's call and willingly stands up and says, and I've blown it a few times that I'll tell you today. So we're going to go get back into looking at Abraham and Sarah. So we took a break last week and, and gave thanks to God. And what a blessed time that was. And I'm still moved in my heart from the, the stories God shared through people's hearts last Sunday. And, and the differences God has made in people's lives because people responded. Because people listen. And that's really what the Bible's all about. It's what the lesson about it is about today is a response. So two weeks ago we saw Abraham and, and, uh, and, and Pastor Chris was talking about the, the circumcision and how Abraham, how the angel of the Lord came to Abraham and he told him, your, your wife's going to have a child in, in a year. You're going to change her name from Sarai to Sarah. She's going to have a child in a year. But I want this to be our covenant, this covenant of circumcision, and I'm going to have you and all of the men in your household And I want them to be circumcised. And so at 99 years old, Abraham responded. And he and everybody, uh, Ishmael, who was 13, they were all circumcised. And that's how we finish this. But there was a response. You see, Abraham didn't do what he did when God asked him to leave Ur. Remember, God asked Abraham to leave Ur, and he didn't. So eventually, God moved Abraham's father to Haran. And Abraham followed him. I don't believe that was God's intent. I think believe God's intent was for Abraham to go. Abraham didn't. So God said, you can fight me, but I'm going to win. And so he took Abraham's family to Haran. And Abraham went with him, leaving behind a, bro- a couple of brothers. And then Abraham followed. And Abraham stumbled. And Abraham... Was faithful and and it was reckoned to him as righteousness because of his faith But he struggled and and it's not perfect with Abraham and it's still not perfect But Abraham's growing and when the angel of the Lord who was Jesus came to Abraham and said you need to be circumcised He did it the best we can tell immediately. He just went and did it And that's an impressive change for a man who's been struggling some and and uh, we're going to catch up now We don't know how much longer. We don't think very long. Probably not very long after that time. uh, But we don't know exactly what it was in the beginning of chapter 18. And we're going to pick up there with Abraham. And I want you to imagine a day much different than today. Rather than snow and below freezing temperature, we're in the Middle East now in the heat of summer, in the heat of the day. No, temperatures are... Probably 110, 120 degrees in the shade. And, and Abraham is now resting in that midday siesta, that heat of the day. And let's pick it up in chapter 18 and we'll read the first nine verses and see what, what Abraham was up to. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. So Abraham hurried to, into the tent and to Sarah and said quickly prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it and make bread cake. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and he gave it to the servant and he hurried to prepare it. And he took curds and milk and the calf which had been prepared and he placed it before them and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. He says, there's a lot to this. And and honestly, I really wrestled with whether to just break it into that much for today. That was almost enough to cover, but there's just a continuancy in the next few verses as well that I think are important to look at all at one time. So we're going to endeavor to look at all of these. Things that we need to think about. Remember, 115, 120 degrees, and it's in the middle of the day. Nobody traveled, right? The people knew the area. It's not like we see today, where, where we could see somebody on the road today uh, that just happened to show up from Florida, right? They, they've never been in snow before, and they're out there, and they happen to rent a four-wheel drive at DIA, and they think that the four-wheel drive that helps them get going will also help them stop. Right? It's not like that. We, we, it's not like they are likely to be people that have come from thousands of miles away that just accidentally found out. You know, it's pretty hot around noon. Maybe we shouldn't have been walking. Now, these guys got that worked out, so they don't travel during that time of day. You don't expect that to happen. And, and so you have these three men coming in the middle of the day. Immediately, Abraham has to know this is something different. This isn't the guys down the road just checking up to see how we're doing. They would have come in the evening. So we know that this is an unusual thing. The other thing that we know is that hospitality was the rule of the time. Probably different from what we often see today in our garage door societies. You get in your vehicle, you push the garage door opener, you back out, you push the garage door opener, you drive to work, you work for the day, you get in your car, you drive back home, you push the garage door opener, you pull back in and you push the garage door opener, right? You live in your home and you work at your job, but you don't. we don't have nearly as much time with other people as they may well have had during these times. So we know that hospitality is very important during this time, and, and so it's not surprising, That when Abraham saw these men coming at an odd time of day, he still responded to them. Now, what is surprising is how he responded to them. And that when he lifted his eyes in verse 2 and looked, behold, there were three men standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from his tent door. Now, at 115 degrees, I'm not going to guess I'm going to run anywhere. I really don't like heat. I love this kind of weather outside. This is my kind of weather. If it never got above 70 degrees, I would be the happiest guy around. I could even live with a high of 50. But 120 degrees in the shade, man, I am not running anywhere. But here's Abraham, 99 years old. The man sees men coming and he jumps up and runs to them. Now, there 's again picture there 's some, something different about this this isn 't typical this isn 't what you would generally see, so you assume that he recognizes something from them, and he sees, and we know in verse three the minute he gets there, he says, "My Lord, he calls out to Jesus, my, my Lord, so he saw them. you, you think that there 's a likelihood that he could have said if it were guys from down the road he 'd have said, Come on over and sit down in the shade." And, and we'll relax. But instead he jumped up and he ran over. What else do we see? He bowed himself before them. So immediately he recognizes it's not his neighbor. He's not going to bow low before his neighbor. So he recognizes they're coming at an unusual time of day. That probably got him thinking. Number two, as soon as he got up, he ran, he saw, he bowed low. And he came to them. And then he offered to serve them. He didn't say, come sit down and when I'm done with my siesta, we'll we'll, we'll, uh, break out some water and maybe we'll see if there's any leftovers in the refrigerator and we'll pull those out and and see what we could have or, or maybe we can run down to the cafe or something like that. No, instead he says, please, please wait. Please let a little water be brought and to wash your feet. This is a really interesting concept to think about. He doesn't push himself. He doesn't demand. He's asking them to serve them. May I please serve you? Could I please take care of you? It's hot. You're dusty. Your feet are dirty. Would you please take a seat? Let me run and get some water. And let me wash your feet. This, this is hospitality... That, that we're going to, as we talk later to, uh, on during the message, this is the kind of hospitality maybe we need to start looking at a little more. Me, probably first and foremost. His, his response to them was, please let me do this. Rest yourselves. I'll bring you a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may go on. And they said, so do as you've said. And it's the interesting thought. Let me just wash your feet, bring you a piece of bread. It's almost as if I've got a, a loaf in the, in the tent. Let me just run and grab it. I've got a basin with water. I'll take care of you. And they said, so do as you said. But we know that that's not how he did it. He didn't just run back and grab a loaf that maybe they had for breakfast or an extra loaf that was left over. He went back and he set a whole slurry of things into, into action. So in verses 6 through 8, we see that Abraham's response to them saying, okay... You may service was just like his response to seeing them. He saw them, he jumped up, and he ran at 99 years old to see them. The minute they said it's okay, he ran back. So he hurried into the tent and said, quickly, this is a man on a mission. This is a man. He, he needs to be moving here. He he really has got to get going. He's in speed. Quickly prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it and make bread cake. And then he ran to the herd. And then he, he hurried to prepare it. All of these things, there's an urgency. So in Abraham's heart, there was an urgency to serve these three men. There wasn't a lackadaisical attitude. There wasn't a, you know what? If they want what I've got to offer, they'll sit down and wait for it. Rather, it was, don't, I don't want to inconvenience you at all. I'm begging that you let me serve you, and if you'll say yes, and they did, then I'm going to get it done as quickly as possible. And you have to step back for a second here and realize, this is not microwave speed, right? It's not like he ran into Sarah and said, Out of the freezer, you remember, you've got that microwave dough. Throw it in the microwave, pop it on cook, and we'll we'll get these guys fed. And I'm going to run to the freezer because we've got some choice cuts uh, that we've been storing. Now, this is all fresh prepared. But so he served them speedily. And what's really fun is when you look at at then verse 8, after he'd taken the curds and the milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed them before them, Then, and only then, do we see that Abraham relaxed. But he didn't sit down with them. He stood at the ready to continue to serve them. But he stopped. Up until then, you can imagine he was a blur of motion, moving here, moving there, doing this, doing that. Now, the other thing to recognize is that we know Abraham was a wealthy man. He had been given many things from their first tour through Egypt. We know he had a minimum of 300 servants. Do you not think that Abraham could have went and there would have been a half a dozen people at his beck and call? I want this, 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 and this. But he didn't do that. He ran. He asked Sarah to partake. This is also a very important thing. So he drew Sarah into the service. He didn't just take care of everything himself, and he didn't go tell his servants to take care of everything while he sat down and lounged with these men. He went. And the importance of the service was such that they needed to be served by he and Sarah as much as possible, not by the servants. So he he served them speedily, He served them generously, fine flour. Get the best stuff, Sarah. We got that, you know. We've got that stuff stored. That's our best flour. He went out to the herd, and you could see him looking through. This is not going to be a simple task, because this man has a lot of animals. But he finds a choice and tender calf, one of his best, probably the best. And he brings it back. So he's bringing the best, so he served them quickly. He served them generously, and he served them personally. It's a hospitality perspective. We see in, in Timothy and Titus and Hebrews, sort of a, just a glimpse of the perspective of hospitality. And I have to tell you, I was really convicted when studying this. Because the first two are what, are what a, an elder is supposed to look like. First Timothy 2, or 3, verse 2. These are characteristics of elders. An overseer, then, must be above reproach. That's not very easy. The husband of one wife, that's probably the simplest of all. Temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Do you realize where we, we get our picture of hospitality from is right back in Genesis with Abraham. Whew. That adds a little bit of st- Dressed to the life, huh? Titus 1, 7, and 8. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but on the converse to that, hospitable. So a, a direct difference from all of those other things is, is being hospitable. That's the end of the sentence. So the sentence says that if you're hospitable, you can't be self-willed, quick-tempered, addicted to wine, pugnacious, or fond of sort of gain. You have to be the antithesis of that to be hospitable. You have to be willing to give of your very best to those who come into your house. That's what hospitable looks like. Loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, and self-controlled. Some, there's some challenging things there. Challenging things in our our remote a garage door remote society What does it look like when we're serving people? What does it look like when the people in your neighborhood are, are needy are, are, that people are just moving in or people that are moving out? What does it look like for us? I would suggest that the Bible tells us that it is not for us to give what's left over. I'll help you if I can I'll help you if I have energy I'll provide for you if I have leftover. I don't think that's really what God's intending for us when he looks at Abraham and gives us his picture. I really believe what God's telling us is to respond like Abraham did. Quickly. Generously. And personally. Those may be things that we should look at and we should put on our list of things to evaluate when, when there's somebody we see in need. How do we respond? Slowly? Yeah, We've got to work on that. Are we generous or not? And do we do it ourselves, or do we send someone else to take care of it? We move on then. It's a great picture. So so consider that there's just a little bit of a a change in direction now, but the concepts here are going to be much the same. So, So now we're going to look at the promise. So, The best we can tell, this is when Sarah first gets brought into the promise. So this is probably the best I can tell. The first time Sarah has heard Jesus speak to Abraham. The rest of the time, Abraham has been somewhere else. And we believe that he's bringing this information back to Sarah. But here's a time where Sarah was standing at the door of the tent and heard herself. And then Christ said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, behold, in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door which was behind them. So I have to believe that there there was an opportunity here now that needed Sarah's involvement. And she needed it firsthand. Not secondhand from Abraham, We're going to still see here that Abraham's responsible for Sarah and and the Lord still expects him as the leader of the family to to own that responsibility. But I think there's an opportunity here for Sarah to grow. So it's a chance now to see Sarah continue to mature and and, and to work with things. And not a lot in these two things, but, but really just getting this started. Now, the promise is that he's going to come in, in a year. And the concept here is that the idea is that there, God had predetermined this time. Before, he'd been telling Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation. Go outside and try to number the stars or count the grains of sand. Okay? That's how many descendants you're going to have. But he hadn't come so far as to say... Then, this is the date. Here's the time. Be ready for it. Before that, it had been, it's going to happen, Abraham. It's going to happen, Abraham. It's going to happen, Abraham. And of course, Sarah and Abraham did their very best to speed it up. Well, it obviously isn't working with Sarah. So God must have meant that Abraham's going to father this, but, this, but, but there's going to be a different mother. That's okay. That works. Sarah said, I can cope with that. In fact is, I can not only cope with that, but let me push it. Let me give you my maid, and, and you marry her, and you can have another wife. That's, that's actually okay in, in, in the economy of things there. Um, and they were going to have a son uh, or a child, and, and this was great, but that didn't obviously work out quite the way that Sarah had planned either, because we know now that... that uh, yeah, it just didn't work so well. There were, there were problems with Hagar and Hagar's attitude towards Sarah once she became pregnant and had the baby. And so, so Sarah kicked her out of the house and sent her off into the desert. But we know God brought her back with that. So there were some issues and challenges with that and all those things. But they'd been pushing it, but now they had a date. And it was, it was clear who was going to be the mother of this child that was going to be the beginning of this nation, and that was going to be Sarah. Now, if you put yourself in Sarah's shoes, you can't hardly blame her for her response. You, you really can't do that. It's, they're old. It tells us in verses 11 and 12, now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. They're not just old. They're actually advanced in age. That's like doubly bad. And Sarah was past childbearing. I mean, this is cool, and this sounds good, but you know, I can't blame her for chuckling because it really would have to seem humorous. And in verse 12, she laughed to herself, saying, "'After I have become old, shall I also pleasure, "'shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also?' How many of us wouldn't get caught up in that? How many of us wouldn't look and laugh a little bit about the likelihood of that happening? We know that in in chapter 17, verse 17, Abraham did, right? He fell on his face and laughed. and, And said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? He's 99 now in a year's time. And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Because she's 89 now. I mean, come on. But there's a distinction here. Because we know that when Abraham laughed, there was no response from the Lord. But when Sarah laughed, there was. But first, let's take a step back. Now, picture this. A 99 year old man and an 89 year old woman thinking about having a child. The evidence here suggests that they had not considered sexual intercourse for a while. And now God says they're going to have a baby. They're pretty wise in this, they've got enough animals. Somebody read to Adam the birds and the bees. He got, he got it worked out how this happens. They both did, right? Hagar and, and Abraham and Sarai gave Hagar. So they knew the way this worked. And they got it, and they're thinking, hmm, what's going to go? What's going to happen here? You know, I think we just don't understand some things. I don't understand a lot of things, but this is something that's interesting. We know that in verse chapter 20... Sarah must still have been a knockout. Because we know in chapter 20, when they go to Gerar and, and, and they're going into this country, Abraham says to Sarah, now remember, remember what we do when we go to another country, because it's far more important that I stay alive than we do what's right. You tell them you're my sister. Because that way when the king sees you, and they'll immediately want you as their wife, because you are beautiful and desirable, and even at 89, then he protects me. Abraham was, he knew about taking care of number one. So she must have been still beautiful and desirable, but yet, physically, they must not have been getting together. Because of this statement here. So there's no wonder she laughs. But her laughter must have had a heart issue associated with it. Because if we look on. In a little bit we're going to see that. That God didn't respond very kindly. And in verses 13 through 15. And the Lord said to Abraham. Why did Sarah laugh? So. And say, shall I indeed bear a son, a child when I am old? And the Lord says to Abraham, is anything too difficult for the Lord? That's a rhetorical question, by the way. If God ever comes to talk to you and asks you that question, what should your response be? No. He's not really trying to see if Abraham has a point here that something might be too challenging. At the appointed time, I will return to you. And at this time next year, Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. So in chapter 17, verse 17, if you just pull out the words of the part about Abraham laughing, and you pull out the words of Sarah laughing, they're almost identical. There's so little difference between those. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And then later Sarah, and Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? The, const, the, the, the structuring of the sentences, the structuring of the responses are not that different. And I wrestled really hard over why then... Why then did God chastise Sarah? Why didn't he kick Abraham in the rear end? Why was it okay? Why could they say the same thing? And, 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 and I wrestled with it, and on Friday night we were talking about it more. And, and as everybody knows, I love to bring out what we learn in community group when I teach. It's the greatest part about talking about the messages before you give the messages because you can rely on other people to give good wisdom. And Gary Cooper said, well... It's got to be a lot like Cain and Abel. So if we go back to Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, we see another picture of something that didn't, doesn't necessarily, right on the surface, make a ton of sense. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground, and Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock, And of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. You see, on the surface, it's really hard to tell the difference between Cain's offering and Abel's offering and why God would have had favor with Abel and not with Cain. It's the same thing with Sarah and Abraham. On the surface, the the, the things that they say and the things that they do don't have a lot of difference. That You look at them and say, oh, well, that's obviously why God then said to to Sarah, 'What, what were you laughing for? You think I'm funny? You think I take this lightly? For 34 years, I have been preparing you for this moment. What's hilarious about that? Well, the best I can tell is that there was, there was a heart issue with Sarah. Just like there was a heart issue with Cain. Right? God knew Cain's heart as he gave the offering. And they, he knew that Cain's heart wasn't like Abel's heart. There was something there, a lack of freeness of giving... A lack of respect. I'm not sure because it doesn't tell us. But there was something missing for Cain that was there for Abel. And we have to assume that this is the time now that God's going to start growing Sarah. This is the time where He's starting to prepare her because you see, she's got a really, really important job ahead of her. And Sarah, we know that while she hasn't made hasn't been the the founder of most of the mistakes that Abraham and Sarah made over their time. She got in there with Hagar, right? She tried to push the the whole idea of having a child. And then, of course, when Hagar had Ishmael, then she tried to push her out or get rid of her when she was pregnant. We know there were some challenges there, but this is a time where God, I think, is starting to groom Sarah. Where Where he's starting to just prepare her for this great and wonderful opportunity that she was going to have. It had to be intimidating to stand there at the opening of the tent and in your heart chuckle and say to yourself, Now? Really? And then have this man whom you've not seen before Turn over or turn to your husband and say, why did she just laugh at me? Can you imagine that? See, we may not think that's very surprising now because we can see this in a lot of places. We see a lot of places where God has, has read into people's thoughts. God has seen their heart. God has responded to them without them saying anything. So we look at it and say, well, of course, God knows my heart when I'm silent. We often pray without speaking because we know God can hear every word that's in our hearts, in our mind. He knows our thoughts before we know our thoughts. So do you think he was prepared for Sarah's little chuckle, silent chuckle? Absolutely, he was ready for this. He knew it was coming. We see in John 1, 45 through 51 with Philip and Nathaniel, another great pick by Gary, uh, on, on how that Philip and Nathaniel... Philip went and found Nathanael and said, we have found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth and the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and he said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? They'd never met, never come across each other. And Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him and said, Because I said to you that I saw you under the tree? You think this is big? (laughs) Just wait. Just wait. Because I saw you under the tree, you believe you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The woman at the well, right? The Samaritan woman. When she was there talking, and, and Jesus says, uh, Go tell your husband. She said, Well, I don't actually have a husband. And Jesus said, well, That's actually right, isn't it? You, uh, you've had five, and the one you're with, you're not married to. Then her response is, You must be a prophet. We know that Christ knows our heart, He knows our thoughts. But I don't know that, that, that Sarah knew this. right? So she probably thought she was pretty safe. Chuckle. Small comment. But what did, how did she respond? That's the key here, right? It's not the key that Sarah made a mistake. I make mistakes all the time. The key is how do you respond to them? What do you do? So we learn a couple of things. First of all, the Lord deals with Abraham. You're accountable. You're the husband. You're the leader of this household. Why did your wife laugh? Now, I don't know what Abraham thought right at that moment. But he couldn't hear her laugh. He didn't know she'd laugh. He didn't know she'd said anything in her heart. Because, you see, he doesn't have that capability to do that. So what do you say? You're Abraham. What do you say? I don't know. I'm not sure why she laughed. Something in my ear? Because I didn't hear a thing. God didn't give him any time to really respond, anyways, because he asked another rhetorical question Is anything too difficult for me? No. So we know that he's going to come and he's going to do the things that he needs to do. And he very gently nudged Sarah. And said, you shouldn't have laughed. And Sarah's response was out of fear, which would need to not be our response. Our response cannot be out of fear. When God gently nudges us, we need to embrace that nudging. And most of the time, that's going to come from somebody around us. Most of the time, that's going to come from somebody right next to us or somebody who's close to us. It's going to just nudge us and say... Come on, man. It's not where you need to be right now. It's not what you need to be thinking or doing. We need to not respond out of fear. We need to not respond out of defiance. We need to embrace it. And Sarah said, "Uh uh-uh, I didn't laugh. Now, I get why she did it. I'd have probably done the same. Honestly, standing there, having laughed to myself and said something in my head and then been accused of doing it, I'd have done the same thing. "Uh Uh-uh, it wasn't me. You can't prove it. And God still, though, I just, I am so thankful for our God and Savior because Rather than hammering Sarah, rather than coming down on her like a sledgehammer, he just simply says, no, you did. That's the end of the discussion. Let's move on. We have greater things that we need to deal with now. The mercy and the compassion of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, never cease to amaze me. There's a, A firm but tender statement. And then just like us, who have no condemnation, who put their hope and trust in God, he moved on. That was the end of that. Yes, you did. We're not going to go back. Let's move on. What a beautiful picture. So what should we do? What do we do when, somebody bring, when God brings somebody before us and he puts somebody square in our path? How do we respond to them? You know, sometimes we lose the sight of the fact that, that Sarah messed up there. Sarah laughed at God, chastised, denied it. We don't see her responding with, oh, I was wrong please forgive me we don't see that we have to believe it did though because in hebrews chapter 11 verses 11 and 12 it says by faith even sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she was since she considered him faithful who had promised therefore there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that <laughs> not that's a nice place to be described And him as good as dead as that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and as innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Sarah responded in faith. I wished he would have given us a chance to see that in Genesis. I would have loved to have seen the picture of Sarah responding, but we know she did. We also know she was responsive to Abraham in 1 Peter 3, 5, and 6. For in this way, in former lives, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husband, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord with a little L. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. We know Sarah responded rightly. So what are we going to do? What are you going to, how are you going to respond when God puts somebody in front of you today, maybe? Or tomorrow, somebody in need. How do you respond when God gives you something too wonderful to imagine, too astounding to believe? Will we, will we think of the God whom can do anything? Or will we laugh and chuckle at the unlikelihood of it ever happening? What is our reaction when God points out a character flaw? Nope, I didn't do that. You know you're in trouble the minute you try to deny that God has picked up a problem in your life. Because you probably don't walk around with a sign on that says, this is my problem. So he already knows what it is. Don't try to deny him. Take full advantage of those that he's brought in your life. And then finally, what difference tomorrow? Right? So what? So what? This is a great story. We all feel warm Part of it's because the heat's turned on in here, but it was maybe even a little bit fuzzy about this. This is a good feel. Sarah and Abraham blew it a little, but, but we know that God's coming back and we know the rest of the story because we've got a chance to read it. So we all understand what's coming next and all of these great things, but so what tomorrow? Will you get up and run to serve somebody tomorrow that's in need? Will you be generous? Will you be personal? Will you take this wonderful example of a 99-year-old man in 120-degree heat that jumps up and takes care of these three men? Because we know that in Hebrews it tells us to be careful and take care of people because many have served angels without knowing it. Abraham knew. But he got up and ran to the people before he knew for sure. That needs to be our picture. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I I am so thankful that you are not limited by my abilities. I am so grateful that you that you can show us mercy and compassion and wisdom and, and that you lay before us a path for us to take. And you've, and you've set before us people that have lived as examples for us. And yet you have put this all before us so that we might learn more of your character and learn more of how you would like us to respond to people here while we're on the earth. Lord, it's overwhelming to me to think of what it was like to be standing there that day in the door of the tent for Sarah And to hear you make a promise, it was absolutely and completely impossible from a human physical perspective. I understand her laughing. I even understand her denying that she laughed. But I'm most impressed, Lord, to know that you didn't give up on her. That you didn't just walk away saying it'll have to be somebody else. Maybe I will use Ishmael. Maybe I will. But rather, Lord, out of your endless mercy and compassion, you ever so gently nudged Sarah. And then you put her in the book of faith. And you've used her as an example for all of us. Lord, please, please use us. Please nudge us. And help us to respond to that. And Lord, have your way with us. Put people in front of us on the way home that we can serve and take care of. And thank you again, Lord, for, that, for having this just be a picture of your eventual sending of Jesus to die on the cross for us. Amen.